0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Repotit podcast presented by Rerouted. Rerouted is an online marketplace where people can buy and sell used outdoor gear. If you have gear to sell, please check out our app, the Rerouted app, on the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. If you're shopping for gear, check us out online, rerouted.co. That's r-e-r-o-u-t-e-d.co. Now on to the Repotit podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Repot It. I'm your host, as always, Brian Shoning, and I'm here with a recurring guest and, I guess at this point, uh, co-host of some podcasts that we're going to be doing together, Giles Ray. Giles, how's it going today, man? Doing well, doing well, and uh, a little you surprise a here by the- You made a face oh. when I called you co-host. What was that?
1: Yeah, that was a little bit of a surprise. Um, it's very rare that you can surprise me on this podcast, given that we live together, but uh, I did not expect to hear co-host. Um... Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about we've been talking about
0: co-hosting a uh, a skiing and fishing pod, and this is maybe going to be the the kind of first dip into that. This is going on our normal feed, but uh, we've been talking about this for a while, and and I think that that's an accurate uh, accurate representation for what you're doing here with me. Glad to have you on. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Well, we've been like I said, talking for a few few weeks now about some of these things. And we want to get started just by talking a little bit about skiing in the Pacific Northwest. And we both grew up in kind of the greater Seattle area and and skied there for uh, a number of years and ongoing. But uh, some things have changed there in the last little bit, which we'll, we'll get into. But tell me a little bit about just kind of growing up uh, skiing in the Pacific Northwest. You and I had little bit of different experiences i think we we kind of went to different mountains in the area
1: yep yep absolutely um i mean we like you said we both grew up skiing here i really got my you know got my start skiing at snoqualmie pass um which anyone who's familiar with the area is very familiar with snoqualmie pass it's a great place to learn but not not the burliest mountain not the you know most classic resort experience um I've never seen it rain at a ski resort more than it does at Snoqualmie Pass. So you definitely, definitely kind of cut your teeth there, learning the adverse conditions that you can ski in. And Snoqualmie um, well, you know.
0: Pass, I feel like also for for how big of a mountain it is, it. It can be a pretty treacherous and tough drive, even if the skiing conditions mm-hmm. aren't going to be super great. Like you, you might really, really brave a, a, a tough and treacherous road conditions on your drive to get like pretty subpar skiing at Snoqualmie.
1: Yeah, I've had the most treacherous drives of my life have been over Snoqualmie Pass. Um, Ones that once you get through the snow, I had to pull off to the side of the highway, get off at an exit. And just, like, get out of the truck and walk around for a while because I was shaking. Um, so we'll do a couple of Hail Marys. Yeah. Yeah, it, it can get pretty spicy up there. Um, saw a video recently of some freezing rain that happened up there. And watching semi-trucks just slide sideways across three lanes um, is about as puckering as road conditions can get. Yeah, um, you know, I... in all I of think- this... All of this for a mountain that does not have a thousand vertical feet. Yeah. Yep. Well, I drove across Snoqualmie pass
0: oh, a couple of months ago when I was driving back from, uh, from Boston and even just hitting it in the rain, it was, it, it was pretty treacherous. you know, it was pretty heavy rain, but like you get, mm-hmm. a, get a little bit of rain there, people start hydroplaning and like, People were losing control all over the place, and like that yep. was at the end of August. That drive, that drive yep. was treacherous.
1: Yup. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. So, Quality Pass isn't the only ski area we've got. Yeah, I mean, for the you know kind of greater greater Seattle area, we've also got Stevens Pass and Crystal, both incredible mountains, both time places I spent a lot of time skiing growing up. Um, You know, kind of always were. You know, this was the home of all the local hills. Um, Everything was independently owned and operated. You didn't get a resort vibe anywhere. Um, there's nowhere that you could stay at any of the mountains anyway. So everyone was coming up every single day to go skiing. Lots of families, lots of people who you know been skiing that area since they were kids. Um, you know, Growing up in a kind of skiing community out here, everyone's parents except for mine because my parents are from Texas and Texans should not ski um no offense to all the Texans out there I've tried to teach my Texan family to ski and it's always been very entertaining and I (laughs) I love it dearly um but yeah I mean my dad who grew up in Texas moved out here shortly before they had me only got into skiing and got me into skiing as a way to to brave the winters out here that get so dark and miserable he's like oh this would be a fun way to like get him to not totally hate winter turns out he gave me an undying addiction so appreciate that yeah, you were mentioning Stevens
0: and Crystal. One thing about those two places is a little bit further away than mm-hmm. you know maybe you would typically want for a couple hours of skiing. It's it's good enough for a day trip. You can go and mm-hmm. you can you can get an early start and you can make a make a ski day out of a trip there,
1: but not a super short drive. No. No, I mean, so from just to give the city of Seattle as an example, just because that's something kind of everybody knows. Snoqualmie Pass is 45 minutes to an hour away. Crystal and Stevens are each hour 45, two hours and 15 minutes, um, depending on traffic and road conditions. You know, it's not close. It's it's not as bad as I-70 and, you know, coming out of Denver on a high traffic day, but you're used to the Salt Lake commute up to go skiing where it's 30 35 minutes from downtown Salt Lake it definitely is that's a long day trip.
0: Yeah so we wanted to compare those just a little bit right before we jumped on here you had mentioned this and and go into that uh, a little bit the kind of difference between you started skiing in Utah a lot when you were in college and going mm-hmm. to uh, going to college at the University of Utah and mm-hmm. so there was a pretty stark kind of time that that you were able to compare going up to the hills in the Northwest and then, and then going in Utah. How, I mean, how was that? Obviously you loved being closer to the mountain.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, no, it was, it was a very interesting, um, very interesting contrast going there and skiing with a bunch of people who grew up skiing in Utah. And I realized how different of an experience we had with skiing growing up. Um, I was used to two hour drives to go skiing. If I wanted to go ski somewhere rad, um, and to them, the idea of driving more than like 45 minutes to get skiing was utterly ridiculous. And like, they'd be like, ah, I wouldn't even ski if I had to drive that far. Um, so that was definitely like the weird part. Number one and the weird part. Number two is you know, In the Pacific Northwest. We ski in the rain. It rains a lot here. It's warm. It you ski in the rain. Um, I remember. My first season out there was pretty early on. It was November or December. I was skiing with a bunch of friends at Snowbird. It started raining. I pulled my trusty garbage bag out of my pocket, poked my couple holes, threw it on, was ready to go for the rest of the day. And everybody that I was skiing with just looks at me like I had suddenly grew two heads and they're like, what are you doing? (laughs) Looked at you like you were a zoo animal with your trash bag. Oh, yeah, I was like, I'm putting on my rain. And granted, I had the most waterproof gear of anyone there because of the rain that we grew up in. But you always keep a garbage bag in the pocket for, like, the real soaker downpours. Um, But, yeah, I was like, what, I'm getting ready to ski in the rain? They're like, no, we don't ski in the rain. We go home. I'm like, if I didn't ski in the rain, I just wouldn't have skied. That was all we got when I was growing up.
0: Well, easier to say, oh, we'll go home and we'll come back tomorrow, but it's only a 20 or 30 minute drive. And mm-hmm. that's not, you know,
1: four hours round trip of your way. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, skiing here is an all day event. Like, even if you want to ski a half day and you want to get there before lifts start turning, you're leaving the house before 6 a.m. If you ski till noon, you're not home till 2 two thirty. Whereas, you know, in Salt Lake, it was not, you know, at the University of Utah, it was not uncommon to see people who had just gotten back from skiing in a class at one o'clock in the afternoon. Before we get to, to how these mountains have changed,
0: um, what's your favorite mountain in the, in the Pacific Northwest and, and where do you see the most when you have the option to choose?
1: Um, Crystal Mountain's always been my home mountain. Um, there's a lot of great terrain out here. Um, I've had a lot of, you know, incredible days everywhere out here. Some of why I love Crystal so much is that I know it better than anywhere else, and I know how to get around. I know how to have the best day possible out there um, better than I do anywhere else. Um, yeah, I mean, Baker's got some incredible terrain. It's a little bit more of a haul. I mean, we're looking at like a three-hour drive to get to Baker from where we are. There's great stuff at Alpental up at Snoqualmie Pass, but it's a pretty tiny little tiny little spot, and you can deal with some pretty rough crowds there. Stevens Pass also has some pretty incredible terrain. But I just, like I said, I know Crystal better than anywhere else, and I know where all the really rad terrain is, and I like to like to spend as much time there as I can when I'm riding lifts.
0: Yeah, and on the other side of the coin, you know, I, I skied at all of those places growing up, not not Baker as much because, like you said, it's it's adding even more to that uh, to that drive time that we've been talking about. But I, my family probably skied a little bit more at Stevens than we did at Crystal. We would go up to either one. We would kind of judge. You know snow conditions at either one, and go wherever the snow is better. But you know, on a on a given day, if if all things were equal, we would have ended up at Stevens, and I think that's because we were probably twenty minutes closer to Stevens, Mm -hmm. and and -hmm. therefore forty minutes you know then forty minutes away from uh, from Crystal. It it just the the timing the timing would have ended up adding up. So we probably skied at Stevens a little more. Giles, tell me a little bit about let's not get to the, to the ownership change yet, but tell me a little bit about some of the things that really made these mountains. Great. You talked about, you know, not having that resort feel that they Mm -hmm. were very, they felt very family and community kind of run and owned and, and, and talk to me about that and kind of how that, how that ownership change began.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, so I'll, I'll really stick to crystal on this one. Cause this is where I have the most experience. Um, yeah, I mean, crystal just always had this feeling of, you know, everyone, you know, you knew a lot of the people there and they're you know, because there's no hotels there, everyone's from the same area as you are, you know, you, you, there's not much you can do other than go up ski for the day, go home. Um, you know, everyone kind of has a friend or two that had a cabin up kind of near the mountain that you might go stay at every now and then with them and turn it into a weekend event. But you're still driving to and from the mountain every day, and you're driving half an hour or so. Um, and like I said, everyone had a parent that you know. So many people had parents that grew up skiing there that you knew the history of the mountain, even if you didn't experience it. Um, you know, all the chairs had names but we always referred to them as when they were just numbers, um, you know, prior to all the chairs getting names, they were just numbered chair one, chair two, chair six. Um, and a lot of them are still referred to that way. And some of them just kind of maintain that, that feel of actually reverted back to being there to being chair, you know, chair this chair that, um, which I think is kind of, kind of an interesting thing about the whole, the whole Hill and, you know, any, any change that was going on there, you felt like, you know, you might know someone who you could say something to, and your voice might actually be heard. And um, and there's you know a lot of community feel around that. So, a couple years ago,
0: five or six years ago, I, I don't have the date right in front of me, but uh, Vale bought Stevens, and Altera bought Crystal. What what kind of started to happen, uh? In kind of the Pacific Northwest ski scene when that happened.
1: Um, so kind of, you know, Stevens bought Vale and or Stevens was bought by Vale and Crystal was bought by Altera, uh, which brought in the Epic Pass and the Icon Pass to our area. And we had really been excluded from kind of this collective pass idea that, you know, there's some good, there's some benefits and there's some downsides to it. Um the biggest benefit being is that it actually brought the cost of being a you know committed skier down. Like you know, as someone who skis 20 plus days a year, my annual cost of you know participating in that went down pretty significantly. Um, you know, our seasons passes were getting upwards of a thousand um, bucks, 1400 $1, bucks a year for a seasons pass, which is a lot of money. Um, it takes a lot to to break even on that pass when day tickets are 80, 80, 90 bucks a day um, before that that change happened. And so that was that was really great is that it made it skiing a lot more accessible and a lot more affordable for families who wanted to, you know, participate often. Um, but along with that is, you know, everyone saw that we might really lose this local hometown feeling that we've had at these two resorts that have just kind of always been been tiny little you know you know local places and
0: community neighborhood mountains is is exactly how
1: i always referred to them
0: i they're not actually commute you know community owned they were owned but they felt community owned because Mm -hmm. everybody everybody felt like they kind of you know a piece of them was Mm -hmm. was on the mountain
1: and yeah i mean and crystal had been Owned by a larger company called Boyne, which is, you know, kind of another big player in the industry in a little bit different way than Altera and Vale are. Um, they really owned it, but they had a local operator who had been operating, you know, who had been running the mountain for a long time. Um, really good. You know, everyone, you know, everyone knew who the Kirchers were. They were the owners then, Um the woman who cut my hair was actually really good friends with the Kirchers and um things like that where you know again it still had that local feeling. I mean the the Kirchers were people that you're like, oh, like I could go hang out, you know, I could run into them and chat with them, and it wouldn't feel like I was just um talking to some big corporate person. But yeah, so once that purchase happened, um we saw this starting to happen. They brought in these these collective passes, which also gave all of us, the ability to travel elsewhere and go skiing, which I love skiing in the Pacific Northwest, but it's not the greatest skiing in the world. And the ability to go experience these world-class ski areas um, at a little bit more stomachable price was a really, really awesome, awesome deal for us. But we knew that it might come with some downsides. It would make traveling to those places much more palatable if you already had the pass to ski, basically. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, You stop, you know, if you have a family of four instead of having to pay, you know, $120 a person per you know per day to go skiing somewhere plus all your hotels and whatnot, that, you know, five or six hundred bucks just suddenly got cut out of every day that you wanted to go travel somewhere. And it, you know, made the cost of going skiing for a week somewhere with a family closer to, you know, four or five thousand dollars as opposed to ten thousand dollars, which is a pretty significant difference.
0: How did Vale and Altera kind of conduct themselves differently in the purchase of these, of these resorts. It, it seems, it seems like Stevens has, has kind of gone this very kind of, um, you know, corporate route where, where they've tried to kind of run it like they run other mountains. Whereas on the other side, Crystal has kind of been allowed to run uh, the way that made it a great mountain before. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about, their different philosophies on that.
1: So I, you know, again, I can speak a lot more to the Crystal Mountain experience than the Stevens Pass exp- experience, just because I've got a lot more time and energy invested in one of those hills. Um, when Crystal was purchased, they brought in a new a new chief operating officer who had a lot of experience at a small hill in New Hampshire, I think. Um, somewhere, somewhere east, or maybe it was Midwest, and he came out here. And there were some some growing pains that he had, just because our bigger mountain terrain that we have out here definitely um, presents some challenges that he didn't experience at his previous hill. But he knew how to un, you know, run a community hill, which was awesome. I mean, when this all happened, I looked at it. And I was like, as a Crystal Mountain, you know, local, I was like, hey, this is good for us because Altera at least has a pretty good track record of not changing everything just adding capital where capital needs to be added um and crystal stayed mostly the same i mean there was a couple changes that made it you know probably a little bit more modern and a little bit more attractive to people who weren't weren't core skiers which is good i mean skiing's a pretty pretty hard sport to get into um it's really expensive to get into it's really uncomfortable um it can be a little terrifying sometimes flying down an icy hill, um, with a bunch of people flying down it way faster than you. So they did a lot of stuff to make, make it maybe a little bit more attractive to people who were new to the area, new to skiing, you know, as we're having this big tech boom out here and a lot of people moving here and a lot of people now have the disposable income to throw at it. They made that probably a little bit more attractive so that, you know, brought in a lot of crowds. Stevens, I've heard a lot about, um, them not treating veteran employees that were there for a long time before they bought it well. And basically a lot of them or most all of them left. And have had a lot of, a lot of trouble kind of keeping employees. And he's like, Oh, there's just kind of going to be this rotating door of people that always want to come work here. Like it is in resort towns where ski bums kind of dumb. You know, migrate to but ski bombs migrate away from the pacific northwest not to the pacific northwest which has kind of been been a big challenge that vale has run into since then whereas you know like i said crystal has done a really good job of keeping a lot of the a lot of the people that have been around you know there's a guy who has been running the ski check at crystal since oh shoot it must have been i remember seeing him in 2002 2003 when he was running the ski check um and he kind of owned the whole you know the ski and bag check there and he's still doing it they've given him newer better digs given him some better some better deals but i mean the fact that they're able to keep people like brad around says a lot about how they are um how they're running that hill and how they're treating people who have been there for a while
0: let's fast forward and i know that things uh Things are changing rapidly in this story right now. This is a little bit of a little bit of a current event thing. We don't usually talk about, you know, <laughs> things that are going on currently uh, on this podcast because uh, you know it lives in it lives in perpetuity on the feed, and and we want to keep uh, the content relevant. But I think it's it's really important to to mention just kind of what's happened with. Uh, Stevens opening this year this 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 2021 2022 season because um, things have not have not been going well this season at at Stevens and it's got their core kind of membership and pass holders very very frustrated.
1: Yeah. And like, so just to give a tiny bit more backstory, you know, as I mentioned, there's a lot of people who are interested in getting into skiing and the population's booming up here. And a lot of our resorts have kind of been pushing their capacity for a while. And it's really come to a head this year. I mean, it's been coming to a head for the last couple of years, um, but it's just showing through more and more every year. I mean, last year with COVID there was a lot of issues, especially, you know, the term crowding and COVID in 2020, they all don't mix well together. Um, but I mean, we were seeing crowding issues right you know, before these purchases happened. Um, and it's not getting any better. And so Stevens, which has already been pretty much at capacity for the last six years or so, because they were not able to staff up well, because they lost a lot of their their veteran staff and they haven't, don't have a track record of track record of treating their staff. Super great. Stevens does not have the staff that it takes to open the entire mountain. Um, Approximately 40% of the terrain is open at Stevens right now. And as a comparison, both um, Crystal and Summit at Snoqualmie are open wall to wall as they usually would be every day that they usually would be weather depending. Um, They don't, yum. The lack of terrain open at Stevens has nothing to do with lack of snow. I mean, we've had a great year so far for snow. It was a a slow start, but it filled in really nice. And, um, yeah, I mean, crystals open wall to wall pretty much every single day unless avalanche danger spikes up pretty high and they have to leave some stuff closed for a while or if we have bad bad wind and same with Snoqualmie Pass. Snoqualmie Pass has had a little bit of a rough go of it the last week or so because they keep having power outages, but that's, it's not their fault. It has nothing to do with the mountain. They're, they're kind of, you know, uh, stuck with the same system that everybody else is. And as far as that goes and when weather gets a little rough, they lose a little bit of power and that, that happens, but even they've got backup generators and keep most of the mountain running. Um, And so yeah they've got a lot of their rider base really really upset because knowing that you're going to be understaffed is something that you can you can see from a pretty far ways out i mean you know in october november if you don't have the number of people that you're going to need to have a mountain open um and so they've got a lot of their their pass holders really really upset who have been pass holders for their entire lives like uh your dad your dad and a lot of his friends have been involved in the Stevens community and been pass holders on and off for their entire lives. I
0: have some, I
1: have some aunts and uncles that have legitimately
0: been Stevens pass, uh, season pass holders for 60 years and they're furious. Mm -hmm. And Um. that's not, that's not the group that you want to be, uh-uh. upset with you you like you you don't want that dedicated dedicated loyal group of of skiers and you know i, I mean mountain inhabitants almost you know i mean that uh-huh. at a, at a certain at a certain point it's like sure they're not living on the mountain but as much as anybody who who goes up there they you know they are there all the time and those are not that's not the group that you want to that you want to start Yep. In, um, excluding
1: in an area where there is not a lot of ski tourism your pass holders are your lifeblood and the people who have been pass holders for a really long time are the ones who convince their friends to go up and they're the ones who can convince their friends to never go there again
0: um it, it it's- got bad this year though
1: you know I, i've heard
0: over the last couple of years that that people have been getting frustrated but over the last couple of weeks there's been a petition going around that- yeah you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people signing this petition online to get bail to to change how, you know, what, to change what they're doing to Stevens Pass, because mm-hmm. it's not only having a negative impact on Stevens, but it's having a super, it's having an impact on skiing in the Pacific Northwest in general, yeah.
1: because those people that want to ski are going to try to go somewhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the uh, yeah, there are three ski resorts that service the greater Seattle area, which is you know kind of there's three counties here that really traffic those three areas pretty heavily, and that's oh, about four four and a half million people that go you know that anyone who wants to ski of those four four and a half million people you kind of have three options. Yeah, there's a couple other options, but those are your three main options. And when a third of that is barely able to operate. It suddenly puts a ton of pressure on two other two other areas that were already at capacity. I mean, everyone, would, you know, they. I think, you know, that's, the, I think carrying that's the main point.
0: I think that's the main point is these other mountains were already at capacity and now mm-hmm. they have to kind of try to absorb this mm-hmm. overflow in some
1: way. And and Crystal Mountain, um, jump. I've got a I've got an icon pass this year, so I'm pretty plugged into what's going on at Crystal. I ski there a pretty good amount. And I mean, they had started out the year saying they weren't gonna do the reservation system that they had to do last year to keep things okay with COVID. Um, and everyone was pretty excited about that. They're doing their best to manage crowds this year, and you know, part of the issue with Crystal is that you don't have cell service for the last almost hour of the drive, 45 minutes of the drive. So you can't get a notification that, you know, parking's full until, you know, for the last hour of the drive. So you may you know drive all the way out there to find out that the parking lot's full and you got to turn around and go home. Um, and they do as much as they can to try to prevent that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's one long highway where that's kind of the only main major thing on the highway. And they have someone down at the bottom counting cars, but one guy standing at the bottom of a road with a clicker uh, is only so, so helpful, um, especially if people don't want to read the signboard. Um, So, I mean, Crystal, Crystal's at uh, the first of the new year after this whole Stevens thing really started to go down and that petition started blowing up, which is really actually about getting the national forest to try to revoke their, their permit or, you know, levy some judgment in you guys aren't operating in good faith and you need to solve it or we're going to re- revoke your permit and let someone else have your permit. Um, which I think is super complicated deal and it's going to be ugly no matter what way it goes, because unfortunately Vail's got really, really good, really expensive lawyers. And I've seen, seen how that works out and, and how the whole park city litigation happened in 2012. Um, it's not going to be pretty and it could result in a ski resort shut down for a year or two, um, which is what no one wants. Well, Giles, thanks
0: for, uh, thanks for coming on and, and joining us. We're going to keep updated with the situation and, and just kind of as the season goes on here, hear from you on how it, um, how it's affected, it's affected Crystal and, and all of the other mountains. Hopefully, uh, things are going to get, gonna get sorted out here and uh and things will be will be back to normal
1: yep yep and uh well thanks for having me on it's uh it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart as i'm a long time diehard skier and hopefully hopefully this all works out well and we can all look back on this and say wow that was crazy and that was close so
0: Thanks to Giles for joining us. Thanks to you guys for listening. If anybody is interested in purchasing gear, check out our website, rerouted.co. If you have gear to list, check out our app on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Thanks everyone for listening. Hope you have an awesome day.